Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Run. I'm Egberto Wills, your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. As we all know what's going on right now across the world that everybody's talking about is the Ukraine crisis. The Ukraine, the war in Ukraine, a war that very few of us really understand what's going on. Well, luckily today we have somebody from the region, now living in the United States, but can help us understand what's going on. Vlad Debrinsky, thank you so kindly for being here on Politics Done Right. I'm glad to be here. Uh, before we get started, Vlad, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit of context here. Yeah, I was born and raised in Ukraine. Until seven years old, I was there. Then from seven till 10, I lived in Siberia, in Yakutia, which is Far East Russia. Then I came back to Ukraine, and then uh, I went to college there. And then uh, I moved to Boston uh, in the early 90s, and I attended Berklee College of Music. Uh, I became a musician. Then I moved to New York City, and since then I lived in the States. So basically, I'm a 30-year-old citizen of America. But, um, you know, I've been also back to Ukraine since 2014. Uh, and I opened a music school there called American Music Academy, affiliated with the Berklee College of Music. We did the school there and uh, in Kiev. And, uh, and I was going back and forth. And then from 2016, I was permanently based there because I married a Ukrainian girl and have a little kid and uh, we opened another school in two, two locations and just now uh, last December we came to uh, to the states sort of for Christmas and we were going back on February 26 uh, to Kiev to open a new semester and the 24th of February as you know the rockets the Russian rockets started to, to bombard uh, the whole Ukraine so we didn't go so now we're based in Houston. Now, did you are 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 you uh, living pretty much in Ukraine? Is that what you're saying? Is that you uh, you were, you had moved back to Ukraine and now you've just had to reestablish uh, yourself in the United right. States? Yeah, since 2016, I was permanently based in Ukraine. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about Ukrainian history. You know, uh, in in America, there's a, we we are generally geographically challenged and politically. Uh, challenge as well. So give us a little bit of history, starting a little bit before you got into the Soviet Union, Soviet Union, and after the Soviet Union dissolved into back where uh, Ukraine regained its independence. Right. Uh, Ukraine is an ancient sovereign state. Uh, the statehood itself was established uh, in the ninth century. Uh, it was called Kiev Rus. Uh, the language is Ukrainian and the Kings were Ukrainian, but the heritage of the Kings were, were, were the Swedish uh vikings so and uh the country was established from kiev all the way to crimea but crimea didn't did, uh, was not called crimea at that time it was called uh a, a different name uh tavria and uh, uh so since then uh, ukraine was a big state so then uh in the 11th century uh, ukraine had become the largest european state on the continent uh and uh the Europeans know, I, I know the Americans don't know, but the Europeans know that every king of every uh, of other country had connection to Ukraine. The reason why, because, uh, so there was a King Yaroslav and he had 11 daughters and all the daughters were married, the uh, princes and kings in Europe. And because of that, uh, a lot of Ukrainian heritage, like for example, Queen Elizabeth, so she's related to, to Ukraine. The, the, the main queen Anne, Anna of France is Ukrainian. She's daughter of a prince and so on and so forth. Belgium, you name it. Uh, and then basically that was happening until 
the 12th century. In 12th century, uh, as you know, the Golden Horde, the Mongol Tartars, uh, they went uh, from Mongolia at that time, Mongolia went to invade uh, the steppes of Ukraine. So that's Eastern part of Ukraine. And uh, they went there and basically Kiev was burned down to the ground. Okay. And Kiev Rus sort of moved to the West and uh, uh, Lviv was established at that time. And then the city called Ostroch, which is like a spiritual center of Ukraine. Uh, and since then it just sort of like became uh, the second part of existence of independent state. Now, uh, the Eastern part was basically destroyed by Mongol Tartars and that's how Crimea got established, right? Uh, and then uh, in, uh, I should say this, so the, there were at that time uh, two parts of Ukraine. So one part of more European and another part was uh, under the rule of uh, Mongol Tartars. However, the Mongol Tartars were defeated. That's why the Europeans don't speak the Tartar language, right? Uh, by Cossacks. Cossacks were Ukrainian fighters uh, that sort of uh, kind of fierce Ukrainian fighters. And uh, in 16th century, they, they defeated the Tartars basically to the ground. Uh, so, and since then, Ukraine was independent again. I mean, it always was, was independent, but it wasn't conquered. Uh, but then what happened, uh, the Rech Pospolita, which is the Polish-Lithuanian kingdom, started a war with Ukraine at that time. And uh, by doing so, the Ukrainian forces fought and they didn't have much uh, winning gains there. And uh, what, what happened is that the, uh, the Russian prince at that time uh, from a new uh, town called Moscow and the country was called Moscovia and, and the citizens were called Moscovites. Uh, they asked for help so, and they gave help. And since then, so to speak, uh, uh, Ukraine, the Eastern part of Ukraine and Russia uh, were friends, right? Uh, and I should say this, that, that uh, parallel to, to Ukrainian history, uh, Russia was established uh, in 14th, 15th century by Ivan the Terrible, you probably heard of him. And uh, he uh, was established in Moscow. And then in 17th century, Peter the Great wanted to create an empire out of Russia uh, as an example of Roman Empire, you know, he was educated and uh, he, he was self-proclaimed emperor and the idea of Russia, he established their idea of foreign policy of Russia, basically. What that meant is uh, ever um, e expansionism to the East, most of all, because he, they wanted to go to, to the West, but they didn't have many wars, but they didn't win anything, but to, to the East. But since the heritage of Russia is Mongol Tartars, they didn't have any problems ex uh, going to the East because it was the same people. And they went all the way to Ikutia, all the way to Alaska. Uh, now, the Tsarist Russia existed until 1917, as we know it. Now, Ukraine, the Western part of Ukraine uh, was conquered by Polish kingdom in, uh, in 14th century. The Eastern part of Ukraine uh, became part of uh, Russian empire. And uh, the Russian empire, uh, also had uh, Crimean wars with Turkey, right? And they lost twice Crimea to English. Uh, however, English kind of returned it back to Russia for some reason. That's a good question to English people. So, and then uh, uh, after that, Ukraine was independent uh, in 1918 when the revolution uh, started in Russia. 
1918, uh, the Russian government got established and one year it existed as independent Ukraine, full Ukraine from the east to the west uh, for one year. And then in, uh, at the end of 2018, the Bolsheviks came and they were uh, having a larger army and they defeated the Ukrainians again, right? And then in, in 1924, after the civil war, uh, Lenin uh, basically uh, annexed U Ukraine as part of Soviet Union. Uh, so then Ukraine was sort of like part of Soviet Union all of a sudden. And then in 1991, and by the way, the Western Ukraine is a little bit different history because Western Ukraine was still part of Poland. In 1939, when Hitler invaded Poland, uh, along with Stalin, they divided uh, part of Poland and that was part of Ukraine as well. So since 1939, Western Ukraine was part of Soviet Union. So that's why Western Ukraine has a little bit more history of independence than, than the East. Now, uh, and then in 1991, when Soviet Union collapsed, uh, all the republics that the Soviet Union had, and there were 15 of them, automatically gained independence and, and Ukraine as well. So since, since 1991, Ukraine finally got its independence as it was centuries, centuries ago. So for now, 30 years, for 30 years, it wasn't independent. Yeah, let me ask you a question here. Now, when after Ukraine left, uh, after the Soviet Union dissolved, I imagine that even during the times of the Soviet Union, there was a fairly local federal government with, or not federal, but local state-like government within Ukraine. Is that correct? Yes. Basically, uh, Lenin's idea of Soviet Union was based on the, on the Federation per se. He, he saw how America was established and he wanted to kind of repeat that. And uh, he, he wanted to have different cultures inside of this big country. And uh, from all the way from Baltic Sea, all the way to Alaska, from the North Pole, all the way to the Black Sea, right? So you imagine how big it is. And uh, all the ethnic groups were kind of established in their countries, even though like even like Ukraine, it's not just Ukrainians who live there. There's a lot of Jews there. There's, you know, gypsies. I mean, there's a lot of people there. Uh, it's just he established this kind of uh, idea that these people can uh, basically have republics in a say, but it's a quasi Republic. Basically, the the uh, government of that was elected by Communist Party that was elected from, I mean, not elected, but appointed from the Moscow uh, office. And it was kind of quasi independent, but yet at the same time, it was a, a huge vertical, a very strong vertical from Moscow. Excellent. Now, what is the issue as far as why did Russia now believe that it should place a whole bunch of guys on your, I mean, military on your border and invade you with an ultimatum. What is the real, real pretext of what Putin is doing in, in Ukraine? Oh, Putin is a Bolshevik, KGB guy. So basically, it's the same as Lenin and Stalin and everybody else. He's just, he said it vocally that uh, he wanted to correct mistakes of Lenin and Stalin. For example, uh, Lenin didn't allow religion, so Putin uses religion as their weapon, right? Then, uh, uh, then for example, Stalin didn't understand the ethnic groups. He said, I'll understand the ethnic groups. I'll make sure I'll divide it correctly. So that's what he is. And also vocally, he said that he's, uh, the biggest tragedy of his life is collapse of Soviet Union. So he wanted to reestablish that. However, uh, uh, if you go back to Lenin and Stalin, the idea of Bolsheviks were the world revolution. And the world revolution meant that everybody should be communist basically in the world. 
that's why they reached out all the way to Central America, Cubans, and so on and so forth, uh, China. And uh, people might not know that China was not communist all the time. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, uh, that's the idea of Putin. He's the same Bolshevik guy. He's bringing all the traditions of Bolsheviks back to it. So number one for him agenda is to make sure that Ukrainians as a nation doesn't exist, right? Uh, which is a genocide, he said that. Uh, number two, that's a, that's a program minimum, what they say, right? And then the uh, maximum is going east to the territories ex-Soviet Union had. For example, he will say, well, we had Berlin to Soviet Union. Well, there, there you go. We had obviously Poland and all the Baltic states. We obviously had Romania and everything else also. So that's the program minimum. And then expansion after that. So basically what he's trying to do is going back to where it was in 91, before the collapse, and then going into the new world order, as he said, which is the Russian civilization order. And he calls it the Russian world. And the Russian civilization order means, first of all, uh, it's ruled by a ruble, not by a dollar uh, as economical uh, strategy. And number two, it has the idea of uh, mentality as Russian. Basically, only Russian brings the peace and the West is evil and all this. It all comes from Bolshevik ideology, right? Uh, but the idea is that uh, the problem with Ukraine for him, without Ukraine, he, he cannot expand anywhere. He's just not. He can't. So he needs to have Black Sea. He needs to have right, right there inside of Europe. He wants to make sure that he can get his rockets right there where it needs. So Ukraine is very essential for him. And uh, for, for years and years, he created propaganda to make sure that uh, Russians, and not just in Russia, and also in the West, people are confused and uh, who Ukrainians are. And he was basically, Moscow was the PR agency for Ukraine, right? You never heard from Ukraine, Ukrainian news, you heard it from Russia, right? Uh, they tell it what Ukrainians are. So, and that's how they uh, created this monopoly on the news and the structure. And they sit on the UN, the Security Council, they, they sit in the World Bank, they basically sit in every major point, they stole everything the Soviet Union achieved and adopted to Russia, including the Ukrainian nuclear weapons. So by doing so, they feel very prominent where they are and they can uh, call the shots, basically. It's sad. I mean, I, I imagine that you're not too happy that the, Ukraine, the Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons uh, under the auspices of, I guess, uh, the United States and Great Britain, who thought that was best to do in, in, in that time. Turns out that the Ukrainians are turning out to be much better in, in, in fighting and supporting what they believe in. It, it makes you wonder why would Russia, whose army performs so badly, who is pretty much nothing more than a gas station, believe that they, have a, they, sh they could possibly hold any intentions for world domination? Your thoughts on that? That's a very good question. You know, I'm still baffling myself. You know, if I look at the, you know, I have a, I have a military degree as well. And uh, I kind of was trained as a military officer. And I'm baffling also how they fight and what they do. It's they don't fight like uh, like an army. They fight like uh, like a Mongol horde. You know, honestly, they just destroy everything on their side. They don't care. They don't have strategy in a sense. You know, uh, I think they uh, counted on the fact that Ukrainians will probably will be weak. Uh, that Ukrainians will not fight back. I think they're. Uh, the Putin's KGB agents told him the wrong story about Ukraine. And uh, I truly believe that. 
uh, because of corruption. They basically, he was paying the money to those operatives. They're taking the money and buying yachts and did nothing, you know, and then uh, they gave him this information. Oh, Ukraine is all happy about Russia and they're not, right? So, and now more than ever, the United, not just in Ukraine, all over the world, you know? So uh, I think he miscalculated. I think Putin being a KGB guy and being, uh, uh, you know, the KGBs, uh, they all care about the power and cash. That's all they care about. And uh, he was obsessed with cash and power. And uh, he thought he can bribe anyone and they'll be loyal to him because power is important. But apparently, uh, not, that, not just him was obsessed with cash and nobody cared about power. So they just took the cash and that's it. So I think he miscalculated, uh, but then also, you know, I think uh, a lot of uh, money that Russia gained from selling the energy, which is about, uh, in my calculations, about $115 trillion since 2001, which is a huge amount of money. And uh, that's how Russia became rich in a sense, right? I mean, it's not that rich country. The uh, the economy of Russia is equal to Italy, so it's not that you know, it's not the major. I can't hear you. Sorry, something happened. It, it is it is smaller uh, than the state of California itself. It's, it is right. sad, but it's not even as large as the state of California. Now, right. um, I think um, now that the are the Americans doing enough? Are the are is NATO doing enough to help Ukraine right now? No, NATO do, does nothing. Zero, absolutely zero. Uh, in fact, I think NATO is just uh, uh, an organization for uh, paperwork. That's all it is. And maybe taxing, and that's it. You know, if you look at, at countries who are NATO countries right now, they independently help in Ukraine. They are all independently helping. And NATO just doesn't do anything. So NATO, no. for me, even though they were established to defend NATO countries from aggression from Soviet Union, as you remember, right? So... Uh, Soviet Union now equals Russia, basically. Uh, and uh, I'm not seeing any practical involvement from NATO. Zero. They're not are even helping. Are you satisfied with what the United States is doing? Well, I should say this. I, I remember how Biden said that uh, back in January that uh, if Putin is doing a minor incursion in Ukraine, that's going to be fine. That phrase was kind of a giveaway that he was not preparing for war. And he was okay for Putin taking chunks of Ukraine, whatever he wanted. So that's my impression of that. Now, since nobody expected, including Biden, that Ukrainians are going to fight, that Zelensky is not going to flee, that we're going to step in and make sure that our land is nobody taken away, he was surprised. That's what I think. And I think he was in an uncomfortable position to sort of shift his old plans for 2022 in foreign policy. And uh, now he's forced to act upon what's going on, you know. And obviously, as the, as the, leader, as the leader of the free of civilized world, you know, he has to put an example. And uh, he has to. Obviously, a little bit too late, but better later than, than never. So a lot of lives are lost, you know. A lot of children have died, you know women raped, all of that stuff. You know. And right now, it's still not over yet. And who knows how Russia is going to behave because it, you know, they, they, they can just put a nuclear bomb in Ukraine. Who knows? Nobody well, I mean, do you still have relatives? I imagine you do have a lot of relatives that are still in, in Ukraine. Are they in Kyiv? 
Mariupol, Lviv, where are they? Well, uh, my, my wife's family are in Severodonetsk. Severodonetsk, that's Luhansk region, that's where heavy fighting is. Uh, her mom escaped. Uh, her sister, we got her out right in the few, in the very few first days, and we uh, uh, put her to Poland. Uh, but her grandmother, she's older, and and she is a disabled person, and we tried to get to uh, to save her from there, but she said she can't leave because that's her whole life there, and she doesn't want to leave her home, even though there is no home anymore. Her well, no social services either for her, right? Well, the so, it's not like social services. So there are volunteers in Ukraine all over. And the, the volunteers going in and helping people who are stuck there. And uh, the, But it's hard, as you can imagine, because of the shelling and bombing and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, she, she lives with 30 people in the basement of a building. There are some children. And uh, we sent her medicine as well. And then the volunteers do the food. And uh, she's refusing to go, and it's not easy to go from Severodonetsk because of the shelling. Uh, I mean, to leave Severodonetsk. So she's there. Then I have an uncle who was in, in the one of Frankivsk, and he has a big family. You know, he's a, uh, he's a big daddy. <laughs> he has seven children, and uh, uh, and they all uh, girls and one boy. And you know, and. Uh, when the the first rocket landed in uh, in one of Frankie's, the ballistic rocket, his wife couldn't speak for three days. She was so shell shocked, and uh, they basically took the car and went all the way to Poland. From Poland, they couldn't find rent, so they went to Croatia. So now they're in Croatia. Uh, but you know, there's tons of refugees. Uh, as far as my family, that's all I have. Uh, but I have friends, you know, I have school friends, I have friends I grew up with. And your uh, business is, is bombed, I understand as well, or? Yes, uh, well, we just opened, we just got a new rent building with investors, because my uh, school was uh, growing and growing. The demand is there, you know, um, everybody wants to learn jazz and blues, you know, so that's kind of a, a cool thing. And then... Um, and we opened a, a new building. We were about to start the new semester. I was, I was about to fly on the 26th to, uh, with, with my wife and the, and the child, uh, but it was bombed. So the first rockets that, that happened the very first day, there was a, a, every ballistic rocket hit uh, the uh, airports and then some civilians uh, uh, areas. So my, my school was near that area where the rocket is. So it was bombed. The so, got to it. Yeah, so um, we'll see. You know, I still hope to, to go back there one day, but not now, obviously. I am pretty sure you will. Um, let me just say that I, I think it is interesting that um, uh, what, is, what is happening now, where, where we're heading. So my, my next question is, do you think that absent Putin going either nuclear or with, um, let's say, chemical weapons, that you can actually win this thing in the, in the near term? Well, first of all, he already used chemical weapons three times. Three. Okay. Already, I, I heard reports, but I don't know if it was ever confirmed. Yes, yes. And he uses all the time the, the phosphor bombs. Phosphor bombs, also chemical weapons, right? So he's used that. Uh, as far as the nuclear, you know, the hinting, you know, recently I just looked at the... Uh, uh, the news and Russian news. I looked at the Russian news because I want to know what they think. 
and uh, the uh, the Ministry of uh, how do you call it the Ministry of uh, Extraordinary Events. That's their ministry. They put a uh, uh, an, an information for the public and saying uh, we expect that NATO will retaliate a nuclear bomb. That's what they said, a nuclear bomb on the 24th of April. So you should be prepared. Da, 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 da. Then they took this off. So they're playing with that idea. So I think they, they're playing with that idea very much because Putin is a KGB guy. As a KGB guy, he wants to make sure that the Russian public is happy about the new victory over fascism and Nazis, as they say, right? And that's on 9th of May. So he needs to kind of repeat himself as a big, uh, you know, winner of that. And he needs to win something. So far, he didn't win anything. Well, unfortunately, given the prevailing wind to be, depending on where he uses a bomb in, in, in Ukraine, the, the blowover is going to go right over his own people in Russia. So that would be an interesting thing for him to do. He already did this. For example, he in Severodonetsk, he, he blew up a chemical factory, a huge one chemical uh, the, uh, factory. You probably saw the, the pictures, huge kind of red clouds into the sky. Uh, and all the wind went to, straight to Russia. Straight yeah, and that's Russia. what I'm saying. The prevailing winds is to Russia and, and it, he hurts his own people. Not a very smart man, just a, just a what, whatever. Anyhow, <clears throat> I understand that you are trying to raise monies and you're having events to support the people in Ukraine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, about uh, several days after the invasion, uh, my wife and I, we thought, how are we going to fight? You know, first reaction was, hey, you know what, I'll go, I'll go fight. I'm a man, you know, I'll, I'll go fight. But then we have a little kid. So and then we talked about it and, you know, I, I, I can't do it. And uh, we decided to help however we want. And then by chance, we got uh, an email from a girl who asked me for help i'm like well so what do you want and she's like well i have uh, no money for diapers for my for my kid and that started kind of an idea the whole thing i'm like well let's 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 focus on that and uh and then at first Lviv was a huge amount of uh refugees and they didn't know where to go so and we started talking to them and then we we realized it's a it's a big problem because first of all uh, nobody was prepared for this, as I, as I said. N number two, the Red Cross didn't help inside of Ukraine. Uh, they just helped outside. And even though uh, Red Cross, you have to file a, an application, and then maybe in two weeks they'll give you some food and maybe temporary housing. Temporary housing means kind of a gym and school somewhere. So it's not really housing. It's uh, just a shelter. And then, uh, and then when we talk to these women, you know, they're very shy and, you know, Imagine you're living your life, you go to work, you, you have your car, apartment, house, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you have nothing, you know, and then you're running for life and you have no idea what's next. Shameful. Uh, right. So we decided, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's make a fund. And then a friend of mine who lives in Louisiana, he said, well, there is a site called GoFundMe. And I went to them and I sent them a message. They, we, we talked. I said, well, I, I, that's what I want to do. Uh, because they vet in a lot of uh, scammers. Apparently, Go, Go, GoFundMe was scammed uh, a year or two years ago. I don't know. And uh, so they were trying to interview me. So we talked, and then they said, okay. And uh, the idea of the fund is very unique because uh, we're sending cash. That's all we do. We're not sending clothes or food or anything like that. For, for, like, first of all, NGOs, that's all they do. Every NGO, they send clothes, 
food and give shelter. That's all they do. Uh, but they don't do the needs would need it. For example, a woman say, well, uh, like she's in Poland, like, like yesterday, this is a, a fresh one. She's in Poland, she went there on the March 10th. So that's already like a month, right? And she's living in the hostel with uh, the same women, with kids in one room, six women. And I don't know how many kids because she had two. So in one room in hostel, and that's all they have. They, uh, they don't have the documents yet because it's a huge line in Poland to get any documents. And then uh, she applied for Red Cross. She didn't hear back from them yet. They need money. You're, you're absolutely right. What they need is money. So how, how are they going to survive? So, and, uh, and they basically, whatever, you get the money, we send it. And uh, they, they buy baby stuff. Basically, like, I have a baby. I, I know how hard it is, you know, so, and it's every day. So, uh, you know, so that's what we do. And the same thing in Ukraine, for example, some, some women uh, never left, right? And uh, they stay where they stay. And they, you know, uh, so there was one woman also, she had about seven children, adopted two and five her own with her husband. But her husband is a, a disabled person. She lost her job, obviously. And then she's in, in the suburb of Kiev near Bucha, but not in Bucha, near, near, near Bucha. And there was nowhere she can get away because it was all surrounded by, by Russian soldiers. So we thought, how are we going to help? And there was a pharmacy there in that village and then plus uh, a, a grocery store. And what, so what we did, we found out the ability to send uh, through a uh, uh, um, moneygram directly to her card because apparently her bank upsetted the moneygram straight to, to her card. And that way it was the only way to, to make sure that she eats with kids, you know, and there's tons of these things, tons of it. We helped, uh, I don't know, I have like 30 something uh, families and, and not just with cash. We also help with uh, volunteers. For example, some uh, woman, like she wrote to me from, from her son and, uh, and her son is occupied as you know. And uh, she said uh, that she has no money, all of that stuff. And obviously the volunteers cannot give her because it's occupied. So I called my, my, my volunteers friends and, uh, and the Protestants. So they, they kind of snuck in to her son and gave her the packages of food. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting kind of operation we did. So um, there's a lot of that. The, the, the most... Is there a way to provide you guys some some help? Your what what you're doing? I imagine uh, one of the one of the producers told me that uh, you were doing a fundraiser or something like that for uh, for Kiev. We are. I'm going to Los Angeles tomorrow, uh, and we're going to do with uh, a bunch of other artists, uh, including uh, daughter of Tony Bennett, Antonia Bennett, and then Mira Homek. She is a famous uh, violinist. Uh, and I'm a blues guitarist, jazz and blues guitarist. So, so we're going to do a fundraiser kind of concert, a private concert, um, to raise the money and uh, to to the fund and send it over. I have about, I would say, about 15 approved families for help right now. Why I'm saying approved because we interview each of the uh, families right. because you know um, I can help. I mean, there's always fraud. There's always fraud. So I mean, yeah, you, you make sure. So, Right, right. Well, let, let me tell you, we're, we're close on time now. Vlad, why don't you give us a closing, a, a, a closing message that you'd like to leave with our audience? Well, uh, you have to realize, guys, that there is no, it shouldn't be any confusion anymore. There's a sovereign country with independent people got attacked. 
by uh, an aggression of Russia. Nobody attacked Russia. No one, no one attacked Russia. Nobody attacked Russian people in Ukraine. Imagine Kiev is a Russian speaking, Kharkiv is a Russian speaking, Kherson is a Russian speaking, Bucha was is Russian speaking. So everything, you know, so everything you, you hear as a confusion, confusion is made by KGB propaganda in order to win your minds, to not give help and that Russia will do its genocide. So you have to realize that there is no neutrality anymore. You either with a civilized world or you're not civilized. It's just what it is. And you have to be part of the civilized, no matter what. Vlad Debrinsky, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right, and I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs>